Welcome to the Essential Church Podcast, an ongoing conversation about some of the most important issues facing the local church today. I'm your host, Andrew Arndt, along with Brady Boyd, and joined today by Glenn Packiam. Guys, I want to tee up a conversation for us that maybe we don't think about as deeply as we ought to. Um, there is a thing that happens in the church calendar for us every week. <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> and we take for granted that we know the meaning of Sunday and what Sunday is all about, and I think that sometimes we can get a little bit muddled in our approach then. So let me just ask this question because you've done a lot of good work around this and thinking around this, Glenn. What are Sundays for? When you think about that, when you peel that apart conceptually in your head, how do you think about that? I mean, obviously we're using the word Sunday as a shorthand for your worship services whenever your gatherings happen, right? And I think it's one of those questions that we actually back into. Like we sort of just start planning a service and we just start doing things. And then we rarely stop to say, now, wait a minute, what was the lens that we were using? What was the grid that we were thinking through to make these decisions? And so as I've just kind of surveyed the literature out there about what we should be trying to do in our church services, my hunch is that actually we operate out of three primary paradigms. And so one of the paradigms is the one of mission that says every time we gather, we are here to reach the lost. And that becomes front and center to our focus. And and this is, it's not uniquely American, but I think it is particularly American. Like it, it grew out of the American revival movements. And so there, there became this ethos that every time Christians gather, this is all about reaching the lost. So it's mission-oriented. Nothing wrong with that, right? And I just want to say that up front. There's nothing wrong with any of these approaches. But then there's a whole other body of literature or a philosophy or, or you know, themes that emerge from conference speakers that say, no, actually, the gathering is all about formation, or, or maybe the word is discipleship, you know, for some people. But every time Christians gather, we need to be properly formed, and we need to be uh, giving them rich theological sermons, and the worship songs need to be in- incredibly reflective and thoughtful and all of this stuff, because after all, we're here for formation. And then there's another kind of stream or another movement, a set of literature out there that would say, no, this is about encounter. We're here to meet with God. And so the phrase is, yeah, every time we gather, God, we're here to meet with you. We're here to have the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, all of that stuff. So mission, formation, and encounter I'm of the opinion that actually we're meant to hold all three of those together in tension. But it's so tempting, so easy for us to privilege one of those over the other and to emphasize only one. Do you think that that's a theological thing? That's because of our theological or upbringing or dispositional? Like, why do we privilege one over the other? In your I experience? mean, it could be a variety of things. It could just be the context that we started doing ministry in. And so maybe you're part of a church that says, look, we're, we're here to reach the lost. So everything's about the seeker or the unsaved. And, and that's marvelous. Or it may just be your particular gifting. Maybe you are an evangelist in a pastor's office, you know, but you're really an evangelist. Much like our political landscape, in America, the church has become a bit partisan as well. It's almost like to camp out in one of these camps, it becomes your tribe, and Mm, it's hard to break out of these particular mindsets and to think about all three things. I know when we started talking about this years ago here at New Life, that we didn't have to be one of those. We could do all of that in a, you know, in our case, our services last about 80 minutes, an hour and 20 minutes, and we began to think through from start to finish, how all three of these things can happen yes. with different levels of uh, maybe of reflection and emphasis. Like on some Sundays, we might feel that 
this is a Sunday with the message and the songs really need to go after people that are not in the church, who are far away from God, who are maybe have never said yes to following Jesus. Then on other Sundays, we may be tackling a topic or a text that is really formational. I mean, it's a, a teaching moment. For example, a couple of Sundays ago, we taught on tithing. Well, that's not exactly... Uh, bring a, your neighbor a, to church day. That's <laughs> not bring your lost person to church day, you know, typically. So it was, was a formational Sunday where I'm going to do some teaching. This is primarily a believer service, but it's important for believers. It's not that unbelievers were ignored at all, but it was the emphasis that day was formation. And yeah. then there are other gatherings where we say, you know what, today we have so many sick people in our church. We need a breakthrough. We need to pray for the sick. We need to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to come in a unique way today because of the needs of our community, the needs of our church that we see in front of us. But when we begin to think about doing all three of those yes. on one Sunday and being intentional about songs, sacraments, sermons, prayers, all of those things encompassing all three things, it really revolutionized the way I thought about Sundays. Imagine going through your service plan. I mean, just something as simple, as ordinary as your, your planning center document, your service plan, and just look at it through each of those three lenses. So say, okay... Are we thinking about the people that don't know anything about God or the Bible or church? And we'll work in things all the time like, hey, if you've got a Bible, this is where this book is. Or some of you may never have heard this before, but, you know, so we, we say little phrases that cue or that translate uh, for the lost. And, and then look through that service flow and then say, okay, how is every element of this service forming people as the family of God? Like, are we training them to be consumers and we didn't even realize it? Because, look, we've got 10 minutes of a commercial break here or we've got, you know, whatever the case may be, or maybe the lights are are, are too crazy and so we've, we've gone too far on the concert side, whatever. Think through the formation lens. And then finally, the encounter lens. Are we really helping people, like you said, Brady, with songs and sermon and sacrament, believe that they can meet God? We're not just showing up to do cute things, you know? We're here to meet God. So how are you all thinking about this? Is this like a matter of balance in every service? Are you trying to have those three components? Or is it a matter of balance over the long haul? What are, what are we thinking about here? How do you judge that? Yeah, I think each service uh, should have elements of all three, but there are different emphases for each service. Easter Sunday, for example, okay? I know instinctively that on Christmas Eve and on Easter Sunday, my church is going to be full of guests, yep. full of people who don't know a lot about Jesus. So yep. why in the world would I have a service that doesn't emphasize that? So on Easter Sunday and on Christmas, Christmas Eve, Eve or yeah. different times during the year where I know a lot of Mother's Day, for us, those are the three Sundays where a lot of guests are going to be there. So it's going to be, the emphasis that day is going to be on the mission, because that's when yeah. people are there that are a long way from God, that are trying to find God. They're there out of invitation. I've asked the church to invite their unchurched friends. Other Sundays, I realize I need to teach. I need to form. I need to shape people, or we're not going to make disciples. And then every time we want an encounter with the Holy Spirit, that's just non-negotiable yeah, for yeah. us as charismatic <laughs> believers. We want the Holy Spirit to be centered into everything we do. But there are some Sundays where we may emphasize that more. Yes. But So I think at the end of 52 weeks, Andrew, we should be able to look at what we've preached and what we've sung, and what we've prayed, and the sacraments we have come together on, and we should see all three of these in a healthy tension and a healthy balance throughout the church calendar year. And I think one of the helpful ways to 
evaluate or to self-check is to say, okay, well, what's at stake here? Like, what if we don't get this right over the balance of 52 weeks? And I appreciate that because it takes the pressure off, right? You don't do everything every Sunday. You don't say everything every Sunday, right? But here's what I think is at stake. If you're the church where everything is only and always oriented about the lost, you're in danger of turning your church into a showroom floor. Now, if you've ever, you know, sold your house, and I think all of us in this room have had times where we had to list our house on the market and sell it, it is miserable. I've got four kids, and man, those days when a showing is scheduled, it, those are the worst, because how do you make a home look like a showroom? You don't. But over the long haul, this is what happens. Instead of the church being a house, a home for the family of God, it becomes a showroom. showroom. And man, that's unhealthy. So what about the formation thing? What about churches where everything's always and only about formation? Well, then we just become brains on sticks, you know, where it's, oh, it's about, we got to get the right information and theology and, you know. And then what if it's just about encounter? Well, then we're in danger of manipulating an experience, you know, making people just have the woo and the the high, and and you start simulating a a spiritual encounter, you're tempted to manipulate it. Mm -hmm. Just to dive a little deeper on that, I think some other metaphors that we would use is if you only focus on the mission, it's like having a five-course meal every night with white tablecloths. And think about the amount of preparation that it takes to have that kind of meal at your house. So every Sunday has to be this highly produced, big welcoming show. And are we really showing them the fullness of the gospel by doing these gimmicks? I call it gimmicky. The temptation has become a bit gimmicky in order to get people into your door. And I've told pastors this until I'm blue in the face. The way you win them is the way you keep them. Yeah. <laughs> the gimmicks that you use to attract people will be the gimmicks that you have to continue using for them to keep showing up. Also, with the formation, when you only focus on disciples, you end up with students instead yes. of yes, followers. Yes. So we have these really brainiac students who are really well-versed in the scriptures, but they're not willing to talk to their neighbor about the gospel. They're not willing to go to help the poor, but they know everything the Bible says about the poor. They just don't know any poor. We have a culture then that's impervious to people joining us because it's not hospitable anymore. It's totally tilted towards my ongoing formation. How, I do want to ask this question. You know, we all, both as pastors and churches, have blind spots because of how our culture has developed. How have you at New Life... How have you developed, uh, what are your ways that you check the blind spots? So how do we know when we're tilting too much in the direction of encounter or tilting too much in the direction of formation? What are you using to check well, that? Well, to use the words of Jesus, by their fruit, you will know them. I mean, so what are you producing? I mean, are you seeing people come to Christ? I mean, that's one way. Do you know if you're evangelistic, right? If, and we believe in new life and making the gospel really clear to people who uh, don't know Christ. And we try to do that every single Sunday, make it clear to people that Jesus loves them, Jesus has forgiven them, and that they can receive salvation as a free gift. That is really easy to do every Sunday, and we should make that clear. But if you aren't seeing people come to Christ, it may be that your evangelistic fervor needs some fire. You might need to do more work on your mission. You might need to make sure that you are making it clear and plain how to come to Christ. So how many water baptisms? Baptisms are you having? Uh, how many people are really coming to Christ? Are people inviting their neighbors? And you can evaluate that. These are things that you can measure to some degree of certainty in your church. And so I think by your fruit, you will know what you're planting and what you're watering and the kind of trees that you're paying attention to by the fruit you're producing. I love that you mentioned about people coming to Christ and about baptisms because 
Okay, so let's take a church that's overly focused on formation. They do everything like they have the most historic liturgy or worship practices, and these are the most ancient and rich, and they could explain to you everything. This is what this symbol means, and this is why we do this confession and this creed and all this stuff. And you're like, yeah, but did you forget that you exist for the sake of the world? Like, who else is coming into this? Nobody else knows the code, man. Nobody knows the secret handshake, you know? Or, uh, I mean, charismatics can be guilty of this on the encounter side. We're like, man, we want to go deep. We want to experience this. We want to flow. And you forget there are people who don't know that when the band is singing in the spirit for 10 minutes, it's not just, a, it's not a jam session. You know, they don't know that. They just right. think it's like a jazz club or whatever. Yes. Like, they're improving and you're rocking out. And so it's worth checking yourself by saying, have we become an exclusive only sort of thing? That's one way to check the mission if you've excluded mission. I think in our setting, you know, non-denominational churches, which maybe a fair amount of our listeners fall in, in that camp, I find the particular place where we are prone is to be weak in formation. We're probably pretty good with mission, pretty good with encounter, but we don't think hard enough about how we're forming people. And that's the stuff where James K.A. Smith's stuff, all of the reflection on practices and habits. I mean, look, even something practical, okay? I mean, if you really want to make people a little bit uh, hot under the collar on your worship team, like just look at the songs that you've sung for the last year and look at all those lyrics and just ask yourself, yeah, ask yourself this question. If people's view of God was formed solely by these songs, what kind of God is that? What would that be? What, what is that God like? Have we said anything about who he is or just how we feel about him? You know, what have we communicated on Sunday? Unpack that a bit, because that is a big deal. We get a lot of feedback from this podcast from people who are concerned about some of the songs. And you've done your doctoral work. <laughs> I mean, this is, uh, Glenn is, uh, for those of you who don't know, has just finished some doctoral work on this issue of songs and lyrics and how hope and joy and other emotions are expressed and shaped in worship. So just unpack that just a minute, because I think you're obviously an expert in this. You've done a lot of research. Uh, Tell us more. I think there's a lot of angles to this. You know, one of the angles of my research, because it was about hope and contemporary worship, I paid particular attention to verbs, you know, and just that was just one sliver of a part of one chapter. But verbs are interesting. I mean, just, just even think about, are we singing about God's action only in the present tense? And this is, again, a particular vulnerability of charismatics is we want to just sing about what God is doing right here, right now. But the Psalms remind us of what God has done. And they make us look forward to what God is doing. So there's a sense of a narrative. There's a sense of a story. And so sometimes I think we get trapped in our middle-class suburban worlds where we forget. You Look, the songs that came out of the slave era, the, the slave spirituals, were all about the future because the present wasn't very good. And so we might be victim to our own affluent culture and be like, oh, it's fine just to sing about the present tense, but forgetting that there are people in our communities who need to know what God is going to do about the injustice and about oppression. And certainly we need to be reminded of what God has done because yes. that tends to be what he is doing. Yeah. And if you forget what God's done in the past, it's very difficult to imagine God doing anything in the future if you don't know the faithfulness of God in the past. And and so paying attention to these songs and paying attention to sermons, yes. like I think one thing I 
I can say to pastors is plan out your year with these three things in mind. Plan out your year of preaching and teaching on mission and formation and encounter. So I want to preach to the lost. Every time I get up, I have them in mind as I am preaching. And I was joking about preaching on tithing a few weeks ago. But quite honestly, if you go back and listen to that podcast, I made it very clear to people who are a long way from God that money is a sign of God's redemption in our life and how we can worship the wrong kind of God. So it was very much, uh, in a small way, targeted toward unbelievers because I had them in mind. I was thinking about them. Even though I was teaching a sermon on formation that would fit into that category, I had the lost in mind. Then you think about, well, how do I bring that to a place of encounter? Well, because money sometimes takes the place of our worship. And so I've worked all three of those elements into that sermon on tithing. So uh, right now we're preaching through the Psalms. We just started a series on on the iconic Psalms that shape the language of our faith. Every single week, I'm thinking about lost people walking so in, good. the prodigal who wants to come home. I'm thinking about the saints that need to be strengthened and encouraged. Yes. And I'm, I am wanting so desperately for the Holy Spirit to come and wreck our hearts and challenge us and confront us and for the presence of the Holy Spirit to be near to us. I love that. Guys, I want to ask a maybe a provocative question that, that creates some self-disclosure here, but talk for a minute maybe about, of those three things, mission, formation, and encounter, just personally speaking, which is the easiest for you? So like, which is your go-to? And then which is the hardest for you and what have you done or what are you doing to work on that to keep that front and center for you? Years ago, I first began to pay attention to the formation thing because a very obnoxious congregant sent me an email after Sunday worship. And he said, Glenn, I was at New Life today and I heard the name of Jesus like twice. And most of the time it was just songs and prayers were said to a generic you. And actually, Glenn, the songs could have just as well have been sung to Simba, the Lion King. You know, that's it. It was very obnoxious. This is extremely obnoxious. But enough about me then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sorry yeah. I sent that email. <laughs> and so I wrote back. I mean, this was when I just made the transition from being a worship leader to being a preacher. And so I said, hey, you know, worship leaders have the poetic license. We're just being expressive. We're just expressing our hearts to God, blah, blah, blah. And we're just saying it in contemporary wording. And he said, Lex Orandi, Lex Credendi, you know? And I was like, what is that? I don't even know that language. And he said, Google it, you know? And it turns out the church for centuries has sort of had this saying, this maxim, you know, that the way you pray, the rule of prayer becomes a rule of faith. The way that you worship and pray actually becomes the way you believe. And so... So I would say formation has been the one that I've had to work at the hardest to say, oh man, not just the words that I'm saying or singing, but our practices, you know, like, are we actually encouraging consumer habits in church? Are we actually encouraging individualistic habits? You know, so I began to think about how can I build into the service itself moments where people turn toward one another, where people are praying for one another? So there's more communal, because our defaults in America are to be individualistic and consumeristic. So formation, counterformation is a, is a big deal. And I would agree that I'd probably fall into the, both those categories. I grew up in a hyper-Pentecostal culture where the experience of the service, the feeling of the service, the emotion of the service was what was emphasized. And I remember driving home from church hundreds of times, and my parents uh, would evaluate the service based on what was felt, yeah. what happened, the emotions that were expressed in that service. So I grew up with a high sense of, if we don't have this emotional encounter with the Holy Spirit, then we have not treated this time well. We've not used 
his service very well. So I grew up with that as a primary lens for good church. Good church equaled high emotion. Good church equaled uh, this expressive worship time. And so over the years, I'm like Glenn. And then I grew up in a church that we talked about the lost every Sunday. I mean, every Sunday, my pastor would have us close our eyes. And if you died on your way home from church tonight, would you you know, end up in the fiery pit of hell or in, in front of God? And if you were in front of God, what would you say? I mean, I can hear these altar calls uh, rumbling in my head. So I grew up with this strong sense that salvation was at stake every time we gathered and that this expressive time of worship was absolutely necessary to get there, right? So I'm like Glenn. I had to really work on habits and practices that really shaped and formed us. And I remember, you know, taking New Life Church through the process of going to a weekly communion. About six years ago, we began talking about this. When I came to New Life, we were doing communion four times a year, once a quarter. Then I took it to once a month, then twice a month, and now we do it almost Sundays. And I just remember having to really explain to people that it's not just the bread and the cup, that this was a formational practice. This was a a place of encounter. This was us coming to the Lord's table. This was us embracing the fullness of Jesus. All those languages that I had to use, very generic terms, not getting deep, heavy theological but using really general language. And now, here we are six years later, when we don't do communion, people actually are disappointed a bit that we're not doing that because they have now caught over a long season how this is formational to us. So I think that's been the biggest journey, and I think a lot of the people that are listening are probably caught in those tensions. It's interesting that you bring that up because it might be from an outsider's perspective if they don't do weekly communion that you would think, well, communion is that practice that falls under formation. But I actually think if you do it right and you understand it right, that's the linchpin practice that pulls those three strands together. Can you guys talk about that for a second? How is communion a place of mission formation and encounter? And how do you talk about that? By doing weekly communion, and we've talked about this on other podcasts, it's made us as preachers have to preach toward the table. So practically what that means is the end of the sermon is not, all right, everybody ready, let's go do this. You know, The end of the sermon is, Let's turn to God and ask for his grace again. Let's confess all the ways that we've fallen short of this and rely on his grace again, that with God all things are possible, but without him none of this is possible. So that's a gospel proclamation moment. So does that reach the lost? You bet it reaches the lost because that says to them, you never graduate from grace. You come to the table every week to remind ourselves, we still need Jesus. Every hour I need thee, oh Lord, I need thee, right? So that's the mission moment. And then like Brady said, it's a formational practice. It, It reorients us around around Christ and says, okay, this is how we're ending our services. This is the high point. This is that moment that reminds us again and again. And then it's an encounter moment. And this is, you know, you don't have, we don't have to get weird or funky about this. There, of course, we know in church history, people have tried to explain this and have gotten into all kinds of trouble when they, we've tried to explain it. But the simplest way to say it is somehow by the power of the Holy Spirit, yes. Jesus meets us when we come to his table. That's it. Somehow in our hearts, the Spirit meets us. Come with faith, come with thanksgiving, and Jesus meets us by his Spirit. And so we want people to know that. This isn't a tribute to Jesus. This isn't a a toast to Jesus, you know, as we come to communion, a memorial, purely a memorial. This is a moment of encounter. And so I I do think all three of those come together. But actually, all three of those come together in the singing and in the sermon and at the table, all of those moments. Singing, sermon, sacraments, and prayers should mirror all three of these things. And I think it's a beautiful tension to ignore any of these is at your peril. I think to embrace all three, 
brings the fullness of the church into uh, maturity. I think the church grows up and stops uh, eating, drinking the milk of babes. I think this is the time when we can grow up. And uh, I think this is a beautiful tension, and I hope pastors are feeling it and hope they're evaluating it differently right now. Do you all have any recommended resources off the top of your head that can help pastors develop a balanced approach to their worship services? I mean, there's all kinds of angles of this. I mean, there's some churches that probably need to read something from Andy Stanley or, or, or others, you know, about reaching the lost and gearing your church toward mission. Others on the formation side, I mean, I think James K. A. Smith's stuff on You Are What You Love or maybe a headier read would be Desiring the Kingdom. I wrote a little primer, a little 80-page one called Discovering the Mystery of Faith that just explains how some intentional practices can be formative and all of that. On the encounter side, I mean, there, it's, it's just theology of the Holy Spirit stuff there, you know, and Gordon Fee, uh, among others, yeah. If we really believe that the Holy Spirit is the one who uh, forms the church and sustains the church, we can see in the Holy Spirit's work all three of these things. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit that empowers mission. We see that all through the book of Acts. The Spirit's poured out, people get saved. This is what the Spirit does. He enables us to proclaim the gospel in a language that people can understand. That was the miracle of the day of Pentecost. And then it's the Spirit's work who forms us into the image of Christ. We call it spiritual formation because it's the Spirit who forms us. And then the encounter with God happens through the Holy Spirit. So I think if we dig deep into our theology of the Holy Spirit, we'll actually see mission, formation, and encounter as ways in which the Spirit operates in us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Essential Church Podcast. Our goal is always to strengthen and provoke the thinking of church and ministry leaders. And so if you found this or any episode helpful to you, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. Your reviews help leaders just like you find our podcast. And if you have any comments or suggestions on people or topics you'd like for us to cover, be sure to let us know via social media. And of course, please do share this and other episodes you find helpful around the web. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you.